0: According to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question: "Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another?" Jesus said to them in reply, "Go and tell John what you hear and see: the blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear." The dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, in more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Continue this series focusing in on Christmas, on the Christ. And we have this as John asks a question today and sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question Are you the one we have been waiting for? Or should we look for another? Now, over the last few weeks, again, we've been talking about Christ. Jesus, the Christ, who is the Messiah, the anointed one, and he was anointed into three different offices that God's people had hold throughout history. The role of the prophet, who is to speak the true word of God. The role of the king, who is to to rule as a servant on behalf of the people of God. And finally, the role of the priest, the one who is to make sacrifice for the sins of the people of God. And Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all three offices, but not just the fulfillment, the embodiment of them. He doesn't just proclaim the true word. He is the word made flesh. He doesn't just rule as king and administer justice, but as king, he takes that verdict of justice upon himself. And today we focus on Jesus, who is our our priest. In fact, the great high priest. Now, Zechariah... the priest, Zechariah, was chosen to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense when he has this encounter with the angel Gabriel. And he's promised a child who he's going to name John. And then he's made silent. In fact, he's not going to be able to speak any words until after his son is born. And it's on the eighth day that they would take John up to the temple to receive the sign of the covenant and also which would be his naming day. And the people start to ask Elizabeth, are you going to name him Zechariah just like his father? She says, no. His name is going to be John. And so everyone becomes confused, it says, and because he doesn't have any family name, John. And you wouldn't do that. You would use a family name. Where did this name come from? So they start asking, mute Zechariah. Zechariah, Elizabeth can't be Elizabeth can't be serious. You can't name him, him John. And so Zechariah has them get him a tablet, and he writes on the tablet, his name is to be John. And again, everyone is confused. And it's right in that moment that the Lord looses Zechariah's tongue, and he sings the praises of God. He sings a song that we actually, we actually use in morning prayer each morning in the church, which is called the Benedictus. And this this song speaks of John. And this is part of what Zechariah says. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide. Or feed into the way of peace. It, it is John, the son of the priest Zechariah and son of Elizabeth, who we are told is a daughter of Aaron, the first priest of Israel, brother of Moses, who moves out then into the desert and serves as a priest of God to prepare the way for Jesus. It's likely that John joined a group in the wilderness called the Essenes. Now, There were three main groups in the temple worship. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. The Essenes had left the city of Jerusalem to escape the the Sadducees and Pharisees, who they believed turned this temple more into a, a political and economic machine than a spiritual center of life. We've also discovered through the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls that the Essenes out in the wilderness, perhaps even influenced by John himself, we were waiting for the imminent return of the Messiah. They knew the days were near now. And many people went to see John in the wilderness. But of all the encounters he had, there was none more important than his encounter with Jesus. When upon seeing him, John proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And we have to understand what even the symbol of the lamb meant to the people of Israel. The lamb was the symbol of the Passover. It was a lamb without blemish that was offered up as sacrifice to be slain, And its blood was then, then painted or spread upon the doorposts of the house of the Israelites so that that night the angel of the Lord would pass over and spare the inhabitants of the house as it struck the firstborn of Egypt. Now though it's going to be jesus the lamb of god the perfect man who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world his blood spread upon the wood of a cross which now protects the children of god yet john didn't get to see that day that day of our redemption because he right now is sitting in prison imprisoned by herod and he sends his disciples to jesus to ask a simple question Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? You can imagine the struggle of John. He was supposed to prepare the way of the Lord. He he was this unbelievable revelation. He sees it in the baptism of Jesus, where the the heavens are opened up, and the voice of the Father says, Behold my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And John cries out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But was he mistaken? Was he wrong about everything? And so he sends his disciples to ask, are you the one? Or should we look for another? And Jesus replies, he says, go and tell John what you you hear and see. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news preached to them, proclaimed to them. The very signs that we heard prophesied in Isaiah today. But, it, but it's not about the miracles themselves. Sometimes we think it's all about the miracles, but it's not. The miracles are simply a sign. A sign to show the people that Jesus is the one from on high. And if he has the power to heal us bodily, then he has the power to forgive sins. Jesus is proclaiming to John, yes, I am the one. These signs and these wonders prove that I am from on high. See, Jesus is the great high priest who offers sacrifice for the sins of the world. But, but what can he sacrifice? He's creator of all things. He's made all things. To, to offer a created thing would be, would be nothing. He can just make more. I, I was trying to think the best analogy to even understand that. Because we're simply creatures. And so there's probably a lot of holes in this. But I was thinking to myself, if I had all the money in the world, and I made a Lego set, and I offered it up to you because you really wanted it, with full knowledge that I was just going to buy another one and make it again, is that really a sacrifice? It's a nice gesture. It's kind to give something to you. But, but it's not really a sacrifice if I have all the money in the world. I mean, what does, what does the creator of all the universe have to offer that would truly be a sacrifice? His own life. The great high priest doesn't simply offer another created thing. But instead, he becomes enfleshed. He becomes the lamb who is to be slain for the sins of the people. For our sins. Sometimes we fall into this false idea that we receive these benefits by just being pretty good. I mean, so often I've heard people say, well, I think I've been good enough. I'm pretty sure I'd go to heaven, or, or I know I've made mistakes, but I, I've tried to make them right, so it's okay. That denies the gift. The, the benefits of the sacrifice of the Lamb, the creator of all the universe, the Lamb of God, is freely given. And, and He chooses simple means, then, to distribute these gifts to us so we have assurance of them. We call these the sacraments. It's through water and word he he washes us and pours his grace upon us. It's through the pastor's word of absolution and him him putting his hands upon the penitent as they confess their sins and receive now the forgiveness of God. That he speaks the grace of God so boldly. It's through bread and wine, which become for us his body and blood, that we receive the grace of God into ourselves. God washes us and embraces us and feeds us. Grace is always incarnational. It was no different for the Jews. There was a real lamb. A real lamb that they slaughtered, real blood put upon their doorposts. A meal they ate in haste. Even after the first Passover, they continued to do it year after year to remember the grace of God that was given to them. And the grace that God promised to continue to give to them throughout the ages. Our faith has never been and will never be a disembodied faith. The Lord in his grace interacts with us in the most tangible way he knows through, through physical means, through our bodies. And it's the Passover that then foreshadows the Christ, who is our Passover lamb. When it's not the firstborn of Egypt that dies, but the only begotten Son of God who must die so that we may be saved, so that our sins may be paid for. Our grace is incarnational. He took on flesh and offered himself the living sacrifice that though he died, yet now he lives and raised back to life. Our salvation is not a dead thing. It's a living man. And it's the reason we gather today and celebrate with joy and hope and thanksgiving. Because he lives for us. He lives. I want to draw your attention to something we do each week. Back there, there's, there's the bread and the wine that will be used for the Eucharist today. And every week we have the people of God bring forward those very gifts. Now, historically, people of God would bring their their grain and and wine from their homes, and they would mix it and bring it to the altar together as a people of God for the gifts of the church. Now, most of us don't, don't collect those things anymore, don't grow those things anymore. We bring our money to the Lord, to offer to Him what He has given us. But we still bring these gifts to symbolize that everything we're even gathering in this place is being brought together for his purposes, and that God uses the very gifts we bring here to bless us. That we offer it to him, he blesses them and brings them back to us, that we may receive life. And so we have this exchange of prayer right after the offering. The pastor says this, he says, Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. We're praying that our sacrifice be acceptable. What what does that even mean? I mean, what do we have to give compared to what we've received, right? Nothing. We're saying is that everything we're bringing now, all the gifts we've just brought to this table and the offerings we've given to the Lord, that we pray they're acceptable to God because we're simply taking what God has already given us and offering them back to Him. And the people respond, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of His name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. What we're saying is the, the pastor right there, you're saying, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at the hands of the pastor, the very bread and wine that has been brought to this table to be received by God's people as the body and blood of Christ. May he take that and for his, the praise and glory of his name, that his name may be glorified, that his good gifts be praised that our lives would be, we would receive the benefits of it, the forgiveness of sins for our good and the good of all his holy church. And so then the pastor prays, he says, "Accept, we pray, O Lord, these offerings we make, gathered from among your gifts to us. All we have given, it's, it's just what we gathered up and have now offered to the Lord that he's already given to us. And may what you grant us to celebrate devoutly here below, this meal, Offer to us the prize of eternal redemption. It's just a promise of the Eucharist. That in it we receive the forgiveness of sins. Everlasting life. And we offer this this gift. This sacrifice with great praise and thanksgiving. We we stumble into a problem when when we fail to see the gift rightly. Right? Gifts are not some form of God manipulation. We do not offer what God has given us to manipulate him to do our bidding. There's an ancient practice that, that people still default to, I think, today. Right? I give something to God and he should look down with me now with favor. I scratch his divine back and he scratches my divine back. But just as he has nothing to offer a created thing, and sacrifice is nothing for him. He offers his very self. Likewise, our gifts, he's creator. He made them. Our gifts are small in comparison to the king of all the universe, but it's a symbol of our hearts being turned towards him. Right? He's all-powerful. We cannot manipulate him. We can't persuade him to do anything by, by paying him. He created it. We can't give him anything he didn't already possess and have given us. The other, the other problem we fall into is when we see it as transactional the sacrifice. Like, like we're paying for a service. God did this for me, so I guess I'm going to give him something to try, to try to make it even. We do this with gifts all the time. Maybe you've already discussed this about Christmas, right? We want to make sure the gifts we give to someone are equal to or greater in value than the gift I have received. Well, does it, if it's on sale, then does it, does it, like, what? you, <laughs> Or maybe we try to impress people by just buying bigger gifts or, or we're embarrassed because we feel like our gift is too small. We, we've turned gift giving into a competition and it makes us miserable. I mean, what do, what do we have to make even the debt of death that we owe to God? I mean, How do you even begin to try, to try to measure that? No, all we can do is say thank you. This is why we call it the Eucharist. The Eucharist means thanksgiving. All we can do is respond and say, Thank you to the presents we've received, to the gifts we've received. We give thanks. And then our lives become a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, not a sacrifice of obedience or obligation, but a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving so that we, as God's priestly people, can rejoice. That is our priestly duty. That Christ has called us into is to become a sacrifice of self of praise and thanksgiving to give thanks for all God has given to us and to offer it up to him that he may bless it and give it back to his children that it may be a blessing to us and others so we simply return thanks because it's through these very gifts he provides for us the means of grace It has nothing to do with the worthiness of our gifts, but the generosity of our God who refused to spare his only son for our sake. Are you the one or should we look for another? He is the one, brothers and sisters. He is the one this Christmas that we come and worship. There is no other Messiah to wait for. There is no other prophet, king, and priest who has made God known to us so fully. Who has restored our relationship with our creator and has sent his Holy Spirit upon us that our hearts may turn to him with praise and thanksgiving. There is no other lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of sins. And so we give thanks and praise in this house today. We sing for joy. Let the song of the church this day resound all through this week. And even as we come into Christmas, that others may come and know the joy we have comes not from our own doing or our own receiving, but from our God who is so great and has given us everything. Let our lives, not just today, but every day, be a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that others may know the true love of Christ as we have come to know Him, the Lamb of God slain for the forgiveness of our sins. So that we may receive resurrection with him forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.